Hey everyone, before we get started with today's interview, I wanted to let you know that Leading Agile has just spun up an all new podcast called Agile Unplugged. The new podcast is hosted by our CEO, Mike Kottmeyer, who will be exploring some of Leading Agile's freshest ideas, thoughts, and solutions with the people who are leading the charge out in the field. And just so you can get an idea of what to expect, here's a sample from our first episode that features our CIO, Brian Sundergaard. This isn't like just get the product owner to show up and write requirements for you. <laughs> this is like this is like legitimately getting somebody who is running hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue to take this risk, right? So what did you do to, to build that kind of trust with your business partner? You know, it, it started with, I, I think a lot about this because so many of the clients we're working with today are suffering yeah. from exactly this yeah. thing. And I was obsessed with what was important to, to that business unit president. What, you know, what his few hundred million dollars of revenue was became, you know, my goal. Mm -hmm. And, and as, you know, as quick as we could make it so, then, then he would understand that I was going to do absolutely everything possible and then a little bit more to achieve that goal. Like that, that was the goal. Whereas the conversation that he's used to having was something about some, you know, technology problems or some risks or, you know, some, some reason why, you know, we've got to spend this much money on this technology because it's going to make a neat product versus, you know, here's, here's our revenue objective. Here's our expense objective. Here's yeah. the organization that we have to align with that. Here's where we're going to pull the levers to drive that revenue. Here's how we're going to align the organization then exactly at that target. And so we flipped the conversation to those business outcomes from, from, you know, just about day one. Cause a lot of people want to do agile at this point and they're even funding it, but it's like, just, they just don't feel as committed. And that's the first piece of advice I give them is you got to care about what they care about. That's right. You know? Care about what they care about. There's a lot of stuff that's important in business. You know, most businesses, they care about their employees. They care about their customers. They care about their community. They care about the markets they're serving. They care about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But, but no matter what, when you, when you break it down and get <clears> down to it at the end of the day, what they have to care about the most, people will argue with me about this. <sighs> But what they yeah. have to care about the most is, am I positioning my business to be successful? Am I generating yeah. the revenue? Am I generating the profit that I need to be successful? Because if I'm not doing that, all these other things that I care about, I'm not going to produce them. Agile Unplugged just debuted yesterday, and you can listen to it right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and SoundCloud. And now back to Sound Notes. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's an ungodly early hour in the morning, and probably only Marty Bradley is the person that I would be willing to try to do an interview this early with. So, Marty, thank you for taking time out of your breakfast period. I, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll try not to have room service show up in the middle of this. So, um, so what are we going to talk about today? Um, so, I want to talk about uh, connecting strategy to execution. I think that's the easiest way to say it. It's a piece that I think gets ignored. Um, uh, not on purpose, but it's just kind of easy to uh, kind of let it go. So I just want to kind of clarify and talk about that a little bit. Okay. So before I start asking tons of questions, which I have about this topic, um, for the folks that may not be familiar with you, can you give a little bit of your background and history and kind of how you came into this topic? 
yeah, sure. So um, I've been with leading, I'm principal consulting at Leading Agile. So one of my jobs is to kind of help set the strategy for the transformation and then, you know, make sure that everybody understands the vision and, and can tie to it, right? Um, I've been doing transformations for probably about 20 years. I've been in IT for 30-some years, and um, a lot of it on the operations side, but uh, more and more what we're hearing when we go into clients is that, um, like, especially the COO will, will act like or talk like Agile is a black box. And when, he, when they say that, it, it surprises me. I'm like, if anything, you should know more about what's going on. So um, in, in our last couple clients, uh, we were making sure and talking to the executives and, you know, still kind of hearing the same thing. So that's what led us into being a little bit more clear as to how we do this and how often we report to them. And, um, but, but it's really one of the tenets of Agile, right? It's what, it's what allows the executives to make decisions on a monthly or quarterly basis on what to keep doing and what to pivot on, right? So it's, it's really important that we're doing these things, and um, I just thought it was important enough for us to uh, do a soundbite on it. Okay. So we'll come, I want to get to the funding part. I want to kind of save that till the end, but if we can. Yeah. Um, Agile or not, any company's going to spend some time at the beginning of the year thinking about what stuff they want to do. And exactly. management says, here's our strategy. Here's the 175 projects you're going to have to deliver by the end of the year. And then somebody waves their hand forward and says, execute. And isn't then the execution tied back to the strategy? Because they just told people what to execute on. <laughs> so what happens is, you know, if you think about it, you know, um, there's the whole concept of fire, fire, forget. And a lot of what we hear now is that, you know, there's this kind of order taking mentality, right? Um, and, and so what happens when you do that is that people start to, you know, they're, first of all, they're not completely aligned on the vision, right? And, and one of the things that's interesting is, is that there will be this high level kind of strategy of go do this. And, and that's kind of, that's on the business side. And then what you then see happen is that even if you set up, uh, you know, a structure to kind of work this through a flow, you'll see the, the, um, some sort of team, like at the portfolio level or whatever, they'll, they'll start treating epics like really big user stories, right? So what I mean by that is that they take the epic and they just start breaking out solutions. They start creating solutions um, um, with features and then send it to the team to go do. And there's really no clear measure other than a very high level, you know, go do this. And, and what we really need to do is we need to look at how do we break that down to give the teams more autonomy how to work, right? Like, so if you hear Dennis talk about it lately, he talks about this whole concept of commander's intent, right? Um, and, I, you know, I like to use this story, uh, you know, about my son, mostly because it lets me talk about my kids. But um, <laughs> so he was... My, so my youngest son's in the army and he's a crypto linguist. And what, what these guys are is they teach them languages, um, you know, foreign languages and cryptology. So typically what, what these guys will do is um, they'll be reading websites or uh, looking for information, breaking ciphers uh, in code, looking for hidden messages and things. Uh, so one day they, my son calls me up and he said, Hey dad, great news. And I go, what's that? And he goes, I'm getting deployed. And I'm like, that's not great news, dude. The good news is those guys that are sitting in front of the website where it's nice and safe and warm, um, not getting deployed. And, and so he, but he was really excited about it. And so what they do with the crypto linguists is uh, these are the radio guys, right? Obviously, right? Because they can listen to what's being said and, and translate for the team. Uh, so he, he gets deployed and their mission was uh, basically to, they had to go three miles and they were taking medical supplies to some uh, 
uh, to a group further down um, down the road. And um, so, so what happened was they, they're walking down the road and they start hearing uh, gunfire, and it sounds like it's coming from the left, right? So they all dive into a building, and and he's like, "Dad, it was crazy!" You know, everybody's screaming. He goes, "We've been trained for this, but man, you know, somebody starts shooting at you, <laughs> all kinds of things change, right?" And so he goes, "We're yelling back and forth," and the platoon leader says, "All right, when I give the sign, we're all gonna we're gonna, we're all gonna run right, and we're gonna go, we're gonna move to this next building, and then we're just gonna like." keep moving away from the, the gunfire until we hear it uh, settle down. So my son's on the radio. One of the things they teach you how to do on the radio is triangulate sound. Uh, so while, while everybody's talking, he's, he's running the numbers, and he determined that the gunfire was actually coming from the right, and it was bouncing off a building off to the left. That's why it sounded it was coming from the, like it was coming from the left. And so the platoon leader's getting ready to tell him to go, and he's like, stop, everybody stop. And so, of course, they look at him, and they're all annoyed because, you know, there's still gunfire. And um, the platoon leader looks at the lead radio guy, because this is my son's first deployment, so he's not the lead guy, and looks at him, and then, which is Tyler's boss. Boss looks at Tyler and said, are you sure, Bradley? And, and Tyler said, it wasn't that polite the way he said it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And they, and they said, all right, all right, we're going to go left. But I'm telling you, if one guy gets shot, the second bullet's heading towards you. And, and Tyler's like, great, right? So, of course, I wouldn't be telling the story if it didn't work out, right? So they all run left, and they they could hear the gunfire diminishing, right? So they went the right way. But And the reason I like to tell the story is if you think about it, um, you know, the way the Army is set up, right, there's a very clear structure, right? Everybody knows the command structure and, and, and when, and, and then there's the governance. They understand when and what type of um, – um, decisions they can make, right? Like, so it's, they may want to retreat or they may want to go forward or, or call in air cover to help them, but that's not their decision, right? What they have to do if they want that, they have to check with somebody else to see if it can get approved because there's all kinds of things happening around them they don't know, right? Like if they call in for air cover and they don't know that there's a hospital right down the road, um, they can't, they don't have enough information to make that decision, right? But you have a fully encapsulated team, and so you have all the guys that can make decisions, most of the decisions on the ground, right? And so when, when um, Dennis talks about commander's intent, that's really kind of what he's talking about, right? It's like, how do we as leaders set, set the structure and set the governance around when and how people can make decisions, right? And the way we do that is, through defining measures, right? So instead of just saying things like, we want to increase air purifier division profit by 10% in 2020. In a normal transformation, the way we've seen things in the past, that's basically what we're getting, right? And then that goes over to the development teams. And when I say development team, I mean the whole structure, right? Like the product owners are starting to break these things down into features and developers go off and, and start writing code. And and, you know, they don't really get good customer feedback. Could be for three, four, five months into the year. And at that point, it's kind of late to be making decisions, right? It's, it's hard to change, right? And so when I talk about treating Epic as a big user story, what I see a lot of times is it becomes very tactical. So even if you do only a couple features and you go back and say, hey, do you want me to keep going? Usually the, the whole um, solution is so tied together that it's kind of impossible to not keep going. I want to ask a question about the air purifier. So you said increase uh, the quality of the output by whatever percent. That's not even strategic, is it? I mean, that's more like here's the measure, the bar that you have to hit. 
Well, so um, if I said this incorrectly, let me correct it. It's increased the profit of the division by 10%. And you're correct. Okay. Right? That's okay. actually a good strategic goal, right? It's, it's like, okay, I get it. But what, what really needs to happen is you then need to take that down. And like, so for example, um, uh, so what, what we did with them, because uh, one of the guys, um, you know, in the group, when they were breaking down the epic, somebody said, hey, um, let's, uh, you know, we can create an app. Um, that, that'll that'll explain air quality, right? Like they'll show you air quality inside and outside the building. Um, and then somebody was like, "Well, how do we know that's really what the problem is?" And so we went back and we used. I mean, there's a bunch of different techniques, but in this case, they used an impact map. Okay. So at the at the strategy level layer, it's you know this 10% for a year. But in order to get actionable intel, you have to break that down to at least a quarter, right? So we suggest breaking down into a quarter. So in this case, what they did is they sat down and they said, all right, well, if we increase sales of the air of the actual air purifier by 8% each quarter in 2020, that should um, get us to our, our 10% um, overall profit in the division, right? Um, another option was to increase sales of the air filters by 15% each quarter. Um, and then there was another that was, you know, decrease the cost of the air purifier by 10%, right? Um, and, and so what the team then did is they started looking through these and then they thought, okay, who are the people that I'm going to affect? So in the first case, it was increased sales, right? So they're going to, they're going to affect the salesperson. So they go and they talk to the salesperson and said, what, what are the issues that you're having uh, selling these? Like, you know, can you, can you just sell more? And they, and at the time, I think they were converting one out of every 10 leads and um, one out of every 10 prospects. So what the uh, salespeople said was, well, my problem is, is the customers don't believe they have an air quality problem. And the developer said, see, I mean, I think what we should do is write an application, right? And it's, and it's making sense, right? So everybody said, hey, that's cool. How long is the app going to take? And the estimate was, you know, somewhere around two months. And then the immediate response from the team was, well, look, if it takes you two months to do that, let's, let's assume it's not going to be late. By the time we deliver it to the market, we're going to miss our first quarter number, right? And then there was some discussion about maybe we should go back and talk about, you know, maybe, maybe starting in quarter two. And somebody in the team's like, wait a minute, let's focus on first quarter. What can we do? And so somebody said, look, what if we what if we de-risk this? Like, we don't even know if that's going to work. So why don't we do a, get an air quality report? We'll hire a consultant, get air quality reports and, you know, manual report in two or three of our big areas, and then take those to the sales guys and see if they can, if that helps them increase sales. Okay. And so I would, I'd argue, and actually this is what happened because there wasn't a focus on the quarter. In most cases, people would have moved forward with just doing the app. Right? Okay. Uh, and, and so now we've, we're putting all this time into building an app, and we don't even know if it's going to solve the problem, right? Uh, so what happened was in this case... Oh, wait, can I ask you some questions about all this stuff before you go no, into what happened? Ask all, all the questions I've been you want. Writing you know, down I'm questions. You've been, really I know. You've been talking for like forever. <laughs> so I want to I wind it back a, a little bit. Um, I want to go back to vision, because that was the first thing you mentioned that I took a note of. And I'm curious about what you see when you go into companies, because what I see in class is that... If I have 30 students in the room, one of them works at a company that has a vision statement for a product they're working on. Almost nobody has that. Do you find that either it doesn't exist or it just is not apparent at the execution level that people don't understand the company's mission? They don't understand that the reason the products exist, they don't know why they're supposed to be working on these things. 
Yeah, I think it's more the second, right? I, I think it's more the latter. Okay. The companies, mo- most companies aren't, uh, you know, the executive team is intelligent, right? They're running the company. They understand or, or have a pretty good idea what they need to do. Right. I think where, I think what, where the gap, the biggest gap is, is that that message is hardly ever delivered correctly all the way down, the str- all the way downstream, right? Okay. You can have a quarterly executive meeting and talk high level strategy, but you really need to get into a little bit more detail sometimes, right? And it's funny because um, Chris Beal, one of our um, delivery execs, he does this exercise with um, executives. He'll sit down and he'll pull out a napkin and, and he'll just start drawing like leadership team and say, okay, you know, what, what is your, what do you, what is your overall strategy? And he'll talk about it and say, okay, what do, what do your peers think about the strategy? And I'll start drawing arrows in different directions if they're opposite or if they're aligned. Right. And almost every time the arrows that he draws are pointing all over the place. Yeah. Right. And, and so Chris's point is like, look, you know, if you don't have everybody focused on the same thing, you really don't have an aligned organization. And, and so I think what, what happens a lot of times is the executive team understands it and they tell somebody and then it, because it's not written down in, in basic hard measures, everybody has their own interpretation of what that means. And that could right. be By something time, like your son, you, you told the story about your son, if his job was to triangulate the sound and that was the end of it, and he didn't know why he was doing that. Exactly. Then the information is not going to get shared with the team, and everybody's going to walk into a field, you know, a barrage of bullets. Exactly, exactly, right. And and we don't need the team to be informed because that they're going to argue with you, right? You have a lot of smart people. We have to remember that we're dealing with knowledge workers, right? These are smart people that have been working for the business. They care about the business. They want to understand, right? And they have a lot of good ideas, right? You want to hear their feedback, right? I, I mean, I have another example where I actually, I actually did this myself and, and argue that um, I would have caused more problems than, than good. But what happened was I was working for an organization and we got acquired and uh, the two levels above me got taken out, right? So I was a director, and then basically I ended up being a VP reporting to the, pre- the new president of the division. He walks in on day two, and, and he tells me something, and he was very clear about it, right? Like, so he told me the right thing. He said, we have some um, duplication of products, right? And our large customers would love to see us, you know, combine those into one product, right? And what I need when we do that is I need – I need a 2% lift in the quality of the information coming out and, and it, and it used to run overnight, right? It was a batch process and he right. goes in the batch process can increase by more than 10%, right? So two very clear and measurable goals, right? So me, I put my architecture hat on and I tell my team, Hey, we need to create a common API. And so I start solutioning and I'm describing the solution to them, right? So now <laughs> they don't understand really what the intent is. Right. They're just going to go do what I asked them to do, right? Yeah. And this is, this is the problem we have, right? We have a lot of people that are writing features and user stories that are very tactical. It's like, I need you to create this query. And but do we this, don't tell this, them this, why. This, this, this. Yeah. So the teams get used to just kind of, and this is the kind of that order taking out. You actually train the teams to do exactly what you say to do, because if they don't do that and it's wrong, then, then your, your response is, Hey, I asked you to write this query and you didn't. So yeah. they didn't do their job. And, and so now, you know, they look like they're not doing their job. So, and, but if you had explained to them, so in my case, I was lucky, right? I had, um, you know, I've always been kind of open as, as a manager, but I had one of my, um, basically my senior developers come to me and he goes, 
what exactly are we trying to do? And then I told him the real thing. I said, oh, we're trying to create 2% lift and blah, blah, blah. And, and so he goes, oh, okay. And so then he just walks out. So I'm like, all right, well, he, he didn't understand what I was talking about. So he leaves and he comes back the next day and he said, hey, good news. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I, I can, will in most cases, get you about a 4% lift. And um, I don't think it's going to affect the uh, runtime at all. I, th- I think it'll be a, like a, a percent or two. And I go, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you know, we have APIs on both of these, right? So what I did was I called one from the other. Blah, blah. And so he explained what he did. And he basically created the solution already. And I listened to him and I'm like, so our customers use the API, but they have two different products. And he goes, yes, what we do is it's just a packaging issue. The customers that call product B still call product B, and we pass the information that product B didn't know about to product A, and it returns it back to product B, and it's fine. And then the other customers already have product A. They call their their current API, and we call product B when we don't have an answer, and so they get better answers. And I said, so how long is this going to take? And he said, well, uh, uh, like two weeks. We just have to create two different packages for the different types of clients. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, holy crap, my solution probably would have <laughs> never worked. And the customers would have been mad because we would have changed all their APIs, right? right. So, um, and, and so that's why it's important that we explain to the smart people that work for us um, what we why? want, not yeah. what to do, right? So I want to mention something you, you referred to what Dennis is calling commander's intent. Um, if anybody's looking for uh, a really good resource on that idea, um, David Marquet, the guy that wrote Turn the Ship Around, just uh, came out with a new book about two weeks ago called Leadership as Language. And it is all about how to use language to message the things you're trying to say, whether you are somebody who is in a leadership position or in a team position and how you can kind of open the door to more conversation. And he breaks work up into red work and blue work, which is red work is execution. Blue work is something where you want to be open to ideas and lots of variability. Um, And in your case, if you had just said, go build that thing that puts the team in a red work path. But if you explain to them, this is what we're trying to get to, then you're open to different ideas and that's blue work and they can, might come up with better ideas than you had when it was just you thinking by yourself. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you also talked about epics. Um, how do you define an epic? <laughs> in, this in is this, epic, this question is like a hand grenade for everybody who touches it. So, yeah, no, but it, but it, it's true. It's basically a definition of value that you want in the organization. Right. Okay. So you're not, you're not going to go with the, it's just a story that's too big to do. No. And, and, you know, I would love to say, I never said that, but way back in my uh, early years when I didn't know much better is that, that that's what I would say. I would say, don't get yourself, I used to actually say this, don't get yourself all caught up in it, write your user story. And then as you're looking at it, if it gets too big, then break it up, you know, bring it up to features and then bring it up to epics. Right. So I, I was, I was basically preaching the same thing, but as, as we get into more uh, larger and larger organizations, you don't have that ability to have the conversation with everybody. Right. So you need to, um, you need some place to hold. What is, what is my definition of value? What is it that I'm trying to do? How am I going to measure value? So if we have a, a vision, then these epics are how we're going to realize the vision and, and, the equivalent of acceptance criteria would be there has to be some kind of metric we're using to determine success for this thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So in, in the case of, 
of these epics, right? So for example, increased sales. So I would want to see sales increase by 8% in, in, in the first quarter of 2020, right? And we can add, we can, you know, further down um, the stream, we can create KPIs. Like, so for example, we think if um, like, so in, in this example, they were converting one out of every 10 prospects. So we think if they convert one out of every eight, that we'll get, the increase that we're looking for from a sales on the air purifier. So we can, we can measure the, those KPIs as we go. And then after the, after things get into the market um, and, and the revenues coming in, we can then measure the actual revenue. Right. Um, so, so we have ways to, to measure at the different levels. So we get kind of a leading indicator while we're building the features and deploying the features um, as we go. Um, that we're tracking towards uh, what we want to get out of the epic, right? So the nice thing about that is that on a monthly basis, basically do some sort of um, a KPI and OKR review. So we have a leading indicator that we're tracking on this uh, this epic, and so everybody looks at it and says, "Hey, great! It does look like we're tracking. Let's keep going." Um, hey, guess what? We haven't converted any new sales. Maybe we should pivot on this. Let's talk. Let's go figure out what the problem is, right? And, and so now now you're getting into what we really are truly trying to get to in an agile organization, right? We're trying to find the ways to learn as fast as we can, right? Um, you know, when you hear Scott, our, one of our um, senior product specialists, he's like, all your decisions are wrong up front. And it's like, all right, let's not be so hostile, right? So <laughs> you're making a lot of assumptions up front is, is really his point, right? So the more you can decrease or, or de-risk those assumptions, yeah. the better off you are. Right. Okay. Can I can I ask you some questions about this? I just want to make sure that I'm connecting all the dots in my head mm -hmm. and for the people that are listening. So I'm going to start at the lowest level of work and try to climb back up to vision. So tell me if this is how this would go. I've got a team member taking a task. I've got a team taking a story. The stories flow out of the features, which come from epics, which come from vision. Is that right? Okay. And mm -hmm. so at the feature level, that's where I'm going to be tracking KPIs. And at the epic level, that's where I'm tracking OKRs. Correct. And so the KPIs of the feature, that's demonstrating whether or not we seem to be creating this thing in a way that will let us measure stuff at the epic level, which is where we're Correct. looking at OKRs and that's more business focused. Right. And the KPIs are more execution focused. Correct. Okay. And then this monthly review where we're checking in to see if we're tracking towards where the vision wants us to get to, you know, are we, are we meeting the, the metrics that we thought we were going to meet? Is it fair to say that that's almost like the equivalent of a daily scrum, but more at an organizational level? Um, in that, in that a daily scrum would be a place where a group of people get together and figure out if the work they're doing is leading towards the outcome in the time box that they're trying to get to and discussing what steps they can take to make better progress towards achieving those goals. Yeah, um, absolutely right. So the, the, the only thing that I paused was the daily part, but yes. Yeah, um, we, you're doing it monthly instead of daily. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, so who's going to be involved in making these decisions at the epic and the feature level? It's usually um, at the portfolio tier. Okay. Basically the portfolio team will um, run this meeting, uh, you know, cause really it's the portfolio team that it's their job to execute on the strategy. Right. And, and, and so they may at times, um, 
uh, invite in the um, the executives. Typically, that that that's not happening on a monthly basis. It depends on the size of the team, but um, you know, portfolio manager or portfolio team uh, is is working through these, and then probably quarterly, they're they're getting with the executives and saying, "Yep, everything looks cool. We pivoted on these two things or whatever." Right. So, um, you know, just like with with other teams, there are probably some things that they may have to go to the executive team and say, Hey, look, you know, only a month has gone by, but this is the trend we're seeing. We think we should shift and do X. Right. right. Um, and that's, that's kind of their call, right. To, you know, what are those, again, you know, the whole commander's intent, what, what are the decisions that I have to take back to the executives? Yeah. Now, are they, are they like, if, if you're doing this every month, are they saying that by the next time we meet, we're going to see a lift of X percent? And is it like a commitment that they're making or is it just, this looks like we're headed in the right direction. I hey, it smells okay. Yeah. It's really more a trend, right? You don't want to get, cause you know, you're going to start, um, you know, splitting hairs, right? Like, so yeah. for example, if I want to, if I want to increase by 8% in a quarter, you know, if I only do 2% in the first quarter, do I shut it down? Yeah. I don't know. Right. Like you do, it, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to spin up. And then plus that in this case, we're, we're not opening it up to the whole sales team, right? We only went out to a couple people. And, and so at the first month, I wouldn't expect us to jump that high, right? Uh, so it, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be situational. Otherwise, you would create your OKRs to be monthly, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's getting a little too granular in the tracking. Okay. All right. So we, we talked about funding a little bit in the beginning of the, of the interview. How does that kind of sink in with this? I mean, are we just dumping a bunch of money on the team at the beginning or are they only getting money at certain points? How are we funding these experiments? So let's, let's, let's talk pragmatically what I see happening in organizations today, okay. right? So what happens now is that there's typically an annual budgeting cycle, right? And, and so one of the things that we would like to get everybody comfortable with is to, is to budget by quarter or by um, even by epic maybe, right? But if you think about that, no matter what happens, they're going to set some money aside each year, right? It's just how people think, right? Um, until it changes, I don't know that there's much. And, and I'm not sure I, I particularly care, right? I, I, think it, I think it makes sense to have some sort of an investment mix and you decide how much money you're going to spend in each in each piece of that, right? So if I have an investment mix of, um, you know, sustaining the organization and that's 50% and then I want 15% to be, um, you know, finding new innovative things. And then the rest of the percentage is, um, you know, reacting to um, uh, customers in market or something like that, right? So, you know, I'm going to allocate money in general towards those and that's going to be some, a number that I'm going to have for the year, right? So what, what we what we like to shift to as we do this is that we're going to fund the epics based on the value that that we think we're going to derive from the organization, right? So if if I'm going into this one where it says um, I'm going to increase uh, the profit for the air purifier division, and and I do I do some high level planning and I'm like, hey, in order to do that, I'm going to need X amount of money, right? Uh, so you break that money into into the quarters for um, for your epic, right? So for my first epic, I need X amount of dollars. And and then I'm going to run for a quarter 
and you know, I'm going to be tracking this every month. I'm going to run for a quarter and quarterly. I'm going to, I'm going to review, I'm going to review my portfolio. And um, basically it's up to the portfolio teams to allocate the money. I'm going to do a portfolio review and say, okay, okay, these, these things I want to keep funding and these things I want to shut down. Okay. Now, what, what you're doing is you're working with that bucket of money that, that you got at the beginning of the year. But what you're not doing is you're not taking that money and saying, okay, you eight teams, here's your money for the year. Go do whatever yeah. you do, right? Um, so, so what you do is you get to a more um, kind of a lean budgeting cycle. And, and then as the organization learns, they may want to change what they're doing at the, um, at the higher levels. But, um, I, you know, I haven't really seen us get to that point. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know that it matters, right? Because, you know, you, you're going to have, you're going to have constraints no matter what you do. You have time constraints, you have money constraints, yeah. right? If you're, in, if you're inside of something and you find an emerging market, and you need a lot of money to go attack that market and you're very sure, I'm pretty sure if you go back to your executive team and you need more money, then that's a decision that the, that the executive team has to make and they can invest in that, right? Okay. Um, but, at, but at the beginning of the year, you're going to start with some, you know, here's what we look like. You know, just look at natural growth. Maybe we need to grow at X percent each year. But um, you're, we're then going to divide it among the portfolios and the portfolio job is to basically get the best value for that money that they can, right? Okay. So in hearing you talk about it, I have a different kind of way of thinking about it. Part of this conversation, I've been focusing the way that I'm listening to it on understanding the problem we're solving. And all the stuff you're talking about is solving the problem of making sure that the people that are executing the work understand what the outcome we're looking for is. So that if I'm making the decision about, you know, just do the thing or increase lift by this much, I might come up with different solutions, but if I don't know what the vision is, it's hard for me to come up with good solutions. So I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. But this funding thing is solving a different problem, which is how do we make sure we're not just dumping a bunch of money and saying, show us what you got in a year, not knowing if we're getting any value for that. Exactly. And these are equally important in the organization. Absolutely. Okay. So you pause there. Is that because it's... um, off a little bit or oh no no you're exactly right i was uh taking a sip of coffee i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i I didn't realize you were going to stop talking right there sorry sorry i should have warned you um okay so if people want to learn more about this stuff what is the best way for them to 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 find out more about it i mean is there documentation anywhere they get get in touch with you, look on our site. What's the best way to learn? Um, actually, actually they can, um, I'm working, I'm actually doing a, a presentation on this, uh, Monday, and then, um, I'm finishing up a, a, a blog entry and then also a couple of other, our consultants are, are writing some blogs around this area. Um, you know, it's interesting if you, if you try to do any research on, um, budgeting and budgeting and agile, uh, you get a lot of high level speak, right? There's not a lot of tactical go do this, right? Right. Uh, so one of, one of the things that I want to do is I want to follow up with our, um, with, with Paul, our CFO and talk in more detail about, so from a fiduciary responsibility, what are implications of changing the model of, of, of how we expect finance to track these things, right? Because finance guys are, are usually, you know, it, it, it's surprising because everybody thinks they're like sticking to muds, but they're usually pretty good if you have a very clear idea and yeah. if you can show them where and how you spent the money 
and what value you got from that money. They'll listen to that conversation every day, right? So yeah. if, if, if we can get to the point where we can have that conversation with them, I think that's kind of the last piece. Okay. Um, but, but I haven't seen a lot of documentation on it when I've, when I've done any research. So, um, you know, look forward to some blogs. If you want to reach out to me directly, I, I love talking about this. And uh, I'd like to hear your points of view, too, because it, it, it'll help me uh, form and, and make sure I'm not drifting off into the ether. And how do they get in touch with you, Marty? See, that was my special voice. That was my winding up the podcast voice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I like it. Um, either, either LinkedIn or, uh, you know, my email, marty.bradley at beatingagile.com. Okay. And I'll include links to both those. Thank you very much for, for doing this this morning. And I appreciate you doing it so early too. Hey man, you know, thanks for uh, working into your schedule. Morning worked out really well for me. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks. <laughs>